Well, it's good to see you all gathered here and uh, all ready to look into Proverbs once more. Before we do that, let me just uh, again say a, a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, as we come before you, we just readily acknowledge that uh, apart from you, we can do nothing. And Father, we just uh, thank you that by the power of your Spirit, you are here present with us, and we pray that you would be our teacher, that you would uh, convict us and encourage us and challenge us and just grow us as we uh, consider what your word has to say. And so we do want to entrust this time to you for your glory, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, as you've probably noticed if you looked at the screen, we've come to the last chapter in the book of Proverbs. And so you might be thinking, oh, we're at the end of the line. <laughs> and that would be an understandable conclusion, but actually, we won't wrap up our study of Proverbs until next week uh, when we do a topical study, selected verses on the tongue and speech. But hopefully alerting you to that topic won't scare anyone off. <clears throat> Maybe I should have let you come and be surprised. At any rate, today we're going to be looking at chapter 31. <clears throat> well, I don't know if any of you have purchased any products recently that have uh, a s kind of fall into that category of some assembly required, um, and, and you have instructions. You know, it seems like there has been a trend uh, in instructions. You know, it used to be that you'd have a line-by-line -line written statements of follow step one, step two, step three. But now it seems like when you get a product and you open the box, and you get a bunch of parts, instead of having written instructions, you have a series of drawings that show what each stage of the assembly is supposed to look like. And, uh, you know, the idea is that it can be very helpful to have some visuals as an aid to understanding how the thing is supposed to go together and what it's supposed to look like. And if, when you run out of parts, the end result doesn't match the final drawing, uh, you know you need to go back and figure out where you went wrong. Well, there's a sense in which the last chapter of Proverbs also provides us uh, with a couple of visual aids, actually a series of visual aids. Now, concerning Proverbs chapter 31, you'll notice that it comes to us in the form of a couple of poems. The first poem has to do with a king, and the second one has to do with a wife. And at first glance, as you read these, you might think, well, this is just something that was sort of tacked on uh, to the end of the book, and it, it seems like they didn't have any good place to put it, so let's just put it at, at the end. Well, it seems evident that these two poems actually have been strategically placed at the end of the book uh, for a very important reason, and that's that they provide examples of the wisdom of Proverbs applied to actual life situations. In a sense, they serve as kind of a visual aid designed to teach us what God's wisdom looked like when it's applied to life situations. Well, the first poem is in verses 1 through 9, and again, it's an illustration of wise counsel to a king. And then starting in verse 10, the second features an idealized woman illustrating what wisdom looks like in a variety of life situations in daily living. And so the theme of our study for this morning, we could word it like this, not only is God's wisdom to be greatly desired, we've seen that throughout the book of Proverbs, but it is to be thoughtfully applied to specific life situations. Wisdom is to be desired, but it's also to be applied, thoughtfully applied to specific life situations. So the chapter opens with that nine-verse poem dealing with wisdom applied to a king. Well, here, as we're going to see in verse 1, uh, we find the king is reciting words of wisdom, and they're words that actually he has received from his mother. It's words that his mother has taught him. And so here, she's kind of taking on the role of his uh, counselor and, and mentor. So, yeah, it was doing that during, you know, as Jay was, yeah, there's something wrong. I don't know what it is, but. or a new wireless connection. <laughs> so uh, hopefully it won't be too frustrating. Let me know if, if, if it keeps doing that all the time, I can just turn it off, like now. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You want it on? Okay. Whatever. Just as long as it doesn't get too distracting. All right. Well, look at verse 1. It says, The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. Well, right off the bat, that kind of raises a question, doesn't it? Who in the world is King Lemuel? Well, the short answer is that no one knows for sure. You know, the Bible's historical books, if you read through them, there is no king in Israel who was named uh, Lemuel, no king by that name. And so Bible scholars have developed a variety of opinions. One view is that he may have been the king of some other nation outside of Israel. Another proposal is that Lemuel may be a pen name that was used by one of the kings of Israel. And that might make sense because his name means belonging to God. And then there's a third possibility that's been kicked around, and that's that uh, there's an ancient Jewish tradition claiming that King Lemuel is none other than Solomon himself and that the mother referred to here is Bathsheba. The only problem with that view is there's simply no evidence at all uh, for that. So the bottom line is we don't know who he, he was, and yet uh, we can be confident that ultimately the Holy Spirit superintended these writings regardless of the identity of the human author. So notice again that King Lemuel is not offering thoughts that originated with him, uh, but rather he's giving principles of leadership that his mother taught him. Furthermore, the second verse makes it clear that his mother's teaching did not come to him in the form of some casual conversation. Uh, you know, rather, it was an impassioned plea. She has concern for his future. Look at verse 2. What, O my son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows? You know, his mother's repetition in this verse serves one purpose. It's emphasis. It's uh, the way of pointing this out as being something that's really important. If any of you have the ESV, that translation expands the word what to read like this. It reads, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? As she pleads with him. And she calls out to him three times. She says, oh son, oh son, oh son. Emphasizing that not only did he, she give him physical birth, but also that he was the son of her vows. And that last phrase, the most likely intent there is that she's describing him as uh, one that has been dedicated to the Lord, that she had dedicated him to the Lord as a child, similar to Hannah's dedication of Samuel. And so by quoting his mother in this way, King Lemuel is making it clear that his mother taught him these points with a real sense of urgency and intensity. And in teaching him, she began with two dangers to avoid. The first was a point of counsel that would certainly have been fitting for Solomon to heed. You'll discover that here in a second. It was a call to avoid the pursuit of women. Verse 3, do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. You know, harem building was the normal practice for kings in the ancient Near East, but it wasn't God's design. And so this is a stern warning against that practice, isn't it? Notice her admonition is sandwiched between her reminder at the end of verse 2 that he was the son of her vows. She had dedicated him to the Lord. And then in verse 3, she makes the point that this is a practice that destroys kings. And so her admonition kind of comes between those two points. And her instruction is right out of God's law in Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, which reads, the king shall not multiply wives for himself or else his heart will turn away. And with this admonition, she's giving her son godly wisdom. Well, as we saw in our study of Solomon's life, he became a living illustration of the disastrous consequences of disregarding this command of the Lord. His heart did turn away from the Lord, and he introduced Israel to the worship of the gods of his foreign wives. So not only did King Lemuel's mother teach him to avoid the pursuit of women, she also warned him to avoid a second thing, and that's the abuse of alcohol. Look at verses 4 and 5. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed 
and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Now, to be clear, King Lemuel's mother is not telling him, don't ever touch a drop of alcohol. That, that's not the point here. You know, the regular consumption of wine was a normal practice in that culture at uh, all levels of the society. What she is warning against is overindulgence, a point that becomes clear in the second half of verse 4 where she says, rulers are not to desire strong drink. So the issue is one of intoxication, and she's warning of the results of such a pitfall in verse 5. Again, look at the two verses together. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, for, because... They will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. So, what's likely to happen to a king if he's drunk? He's, he's, yeah, he's not even going to remember his own commands. <laughs> he's he's going he's to make laws that he doesn't even remember what they are. And what else will he do? What's going to happen to justice? Yeah, he's, it's right. Justice is just going to go uh, out the window. He will not be righteous in his judgments, and instead he'll become oppressive. So the point is that for a king, or for any ruler for that matter, to rule well, he must be clear-headed at all times. Actually, this principle applies to all people in all walks of life. Proverbs 20, verse 1 reads, Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. King Lemuel's mother was teaching him this very point of God's wisdom. Well, in verse uh, 6 and verse 7, she gives her son a better alternative regarding strong drink. Verse 6, give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. So the appropriate use for strong drink is for someone who is in intense pain and perhaps is near death. And the idea here is that it has a place in terms of medicinal value. It has a place for someone who is in agony, but it is not for a king who likes to party. So those are the pitfalls to avoid, the pursuit of women and overindulgence in intoxicating beverages or in our culture, we might express it as substance abuse. And having given her son two negatives, uh, King Lemuel's mother turns to the positives as she continues with two essential principles to embrace. Having warned her son against the pursuits that would be disastrous for him as a ruler, his mother now offers two wise principles that should characterize his reign. The first is that he must defend the defenseless, verse 8. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of the, all the unfortunate. You know, throughout history, there have always been people who are not able to speak for themselves, not able to defend themselves. The Bible frequently refers to the plight of orphans and widows. You know, they were kind of considered kind of the bottom of the, of the social class, and nobody would listen to them. In our culture, think of those in nursing homes. Or think of those who are suffering from dementia or have a debilitating illness. King Lemuel's mother is challenging him here to be the defender of those who are not able to speak for themselves. And her second point is closely related. She calls on her son to bring justice to the weak. Verse 9. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. So not only is he to speak for the defenseless, he's also to make righteous judgments for the poor and for those who are suffering. He is by no means to favor the rich and powerful and disregard the poor, uh, quite the opposite. He is to rule with righteousness and justice, seeking to put a stop to oppression when he encounters it. Again, this is wisdom right out of Proverbs. Proverbs 20, verse 8 reads, a king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. Proverbs 29.14 says, If a king judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. The king's mother certainly gave him godly advice. So, what are we to make of these words of King Lemuel, these things that were taught to him by his mother? 
You know, you may be thinking, well, this is all well and good, but my experience in life is pretty far removed from that of a king, so what does this have to do with me? Well, I think what we have here is an example of a person, in this case, he happens to be a king, who would be facing specific temptations that could ruin him and who needed wise foundational principles to guide his reign. And so what his mother did was she, she drew from several points of God-given wisdom and applied them to the circumstances that would be facing her son. And so this poem is a picture of how the book of Proverbs is to be used. In whatever situation we may be facing, there's great value in reading through this book to find and apply specific Proverbs uh, that speak to our situation, commands that address our particular circumstances, uh, just as King Lemuel's mother did. Well, now, starting in verse 10, we come to a familiar passage. It's one that I'm sure all the, the ladies know. <laughs> it's commonly taught on in uh, women's gatherings. And it's often referred to as the excellent wife, or as the New American Standard puts it, the worthy woman. I think it's uh, perhaps more appropriate to think of this second poem as displaying wisdom applied to daily living. So once again, there's no way to be certain who the author is here. It may be a continuation of the words of King Lemuel, uh, and it could be composed by someone else entirely different, and commentators have debated that point. It's another one of those situations where there's, there's really no way to be sure. In any case, this poem was written in the form of an acrostic uh, in which each verse starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet that are presented in consecutive order. And it was a device that was used to uh, provide an aid to memorization. You could just work your way through the alphabet and remember these verses. Well, let me begin by reading it in its entirety to get the flow of the passage. So starting at verse 10, we read, An excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Well, this passage is sometimes presented as a portrait of the ideal wife, as a series of characteristics that every wife is to aspire to point by point. And there's some sense in which that's true, but with just a little bit of observation, it quickly becomes apparent that the, the woman being described here cannot be a pattern for every woman to follow. Consider her situation. Is she wealthy or is she poor or is she average? She's wealthy, isn't she? You know, we saw that she's dressed in expensive clothes in verse 22. She has servants. We see that in verse 15. Her husband is prominent in the community. We see that in verse 23. And she's a businesswoman. We see that in verses 16 and 24. 
Commentator Alan Ross writes this. He says, The woman presented is a wealthy aristocrat who runs a household estate with servants and conducts business affairs involving real estate, vineyards, and merchandise. Domestic affairs and charity. It would be quite a task for any woman to emulate this pattern. He then quotes another writer who describes her as an idealized wife in an ideal home in an ideal society. Yet another commentator, Derek Kidner, summarizes this point very succinctly. He writes, This lady's standard is not implied to be in reach of all. Clearly then, <laughs> she's not to represent a blueprint of a run-of-the-mill ordinary housewife living in Israel. She's not an ordinary uh, housewife living in Israel. So, what are we to make of her? Or more to the point, what exactly is the intent of this poem? How is it to be understood? How is it to be used? <laughs> she does a lot of things, is right. Well, again, uh, Alan Ross is helpful on this point. He argues that the woman of Proverbs 31 is another personification of wisdom. And I think his argument makes perfect sense. One thing that I discovered as I was reading through Proverbs, you know, in verse uh, 10, he describes the excellent wife as being one who is worth far more above jewels. And you'll notice in chapter 8, verse 11, it says... Wisdom is better than jewels. So you kind of have this, this equating of the excellent wife and wisdom, which would seem to support uh, Ross's point. Well, do you remember Lady Wisdom calling to the simple and naive to come to her to receive uh, instruction and knowledge? Here's what we heard her say back in chapter 8. She said, Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. He who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And that's representative of what we saw Lady Wisdom saying, you know, throughout the early chapters of the book. Well, now in chapter 31, instead of hearing Lady Wisdom's general call to come and receive wisdom, we have the opportunity to see her in action in a variety of settings in everyday life. So here, Lady Wisdom is teaching not by talking, but by doing she offers a series of visuals enabling us to see how wisdom can be applied in everyday life. So the Proverbs 31 woman reveals to us that this is what a life of wisdom looks like. And so it's fair to conclude that there are principles revealed here that are not just to women, but to men as well. So don't go to sleep, men. <laughs> this this poem really applies to all of us. There are principles here that apply to all of us. And so let's work through this passage verse by verse as we examine what wisdom looks like in daily living portrayed by this idealized woman. Notice, first of all, her rarity and value in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. So our poem begins with a rhetorical question. Is a woman who demonstrates uh, consistent godly wisdom easily found? No. No, obviously not. It's true of a man, too. It's hard to find a, a, a man who is consistently demonstrating godly wisdom. Yeah, she's, she's hard to find. So husbands, thank your wives. <laughs> They are a precious gift from the Lord. Proverbs 19.14 says, A prudent wife, that is, a wise wife, is from the Lord. And fittingly, what's her worth compared to here? Precious jewels. Proverbs 12, verse 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. She is of great value. Well, verse 11 goes on to describe her marriage. Verse 11 reads, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So how does her husband view her? He's a good steward. Well, what else does it say? What does it say in that verse? 
He trusts her. Yeah, that's really the key here, isn't it? He trusts her. He's got confidence in her. And what does that apply about her character? She's trustworthy, yes. Yeah, it, it means that she's got integrity, and she always does what she says she's going to do. And what's the result according to the end of verse 11? She's consistently working in ways that are going to benefit him. That's, that's what she does. Does she ever work to undermine him? Look at verse 12. Mm -mm. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She's got his back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So really uh, quite a marriage relationship that's being described here, isn't it? Well, then starting in verse 13, we come to a list of her activities. This is kind of the bulk of the poem. Verse 13, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. In other words, she's diligent in searching out the materials that are needed to make clothes. And how does she feel about working? What's the word that's used to describe her working? It's delight, yes. She delights in it. She understands that, quote, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. That's what we read in uh, Proverbs 14, 23 a few weeks ago. She's a worker, and she likes working. So the question is, how do you feel about your work? Uh, do you delight in it? Do you see it as being a gift from God? So that's verse 13. Verse 14 goes on. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. And no, this doesn't mean that she orders takeout. What we, what we find here is a metaphor. <laughs> Just as merchant ships would bring cargo from long distances, so she gathers food for her family from long distances. So what's the point? What's the point in her, her uh, being like a merchant ship that travels long distances? You know, the idea is that she's going to great lengths to provide uh, food for her family. Implication is that she wants her family to be well-fed from the best that she can get, even if, if she has to go out of her way uh, to obtain it. So she's not just seeking what's easy to obtain locally, uh, but she's going after that which is worthwhile for her family. So the point is that she is willing to inconvenience herself for the sake of her family. That's what she does. She has a servant's heart. How about you? How about me? <laughs> you know, do we uh, go out of our way for the benefit of others? That's something to think about. Verse 15. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. So she's diligent. She gets up while it's still dark and is preparing food for her family. That phrase, uh, portions for her maidens, likely that's a reference to her assigning work to her servants. She does that first thing in the morning. And it, it speaks of her planning and her, her diligence. Proverbs 12, 24 applies here. It says, the hand of the diligent will rule. Her effort has her in a good place in the care of her household. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So here we also learn that she is a businesswoman along, you know, on top of everything else. So not only does she have the means to purchase a piece of land, but she has earned enough money from her work to be able to plant a vineyard. Her success brings to mind Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. By her obedient servant's heart, she is clearly under the blessing of God. Verse 17, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Literally, this verse reads, she girds her loins with strength and makes her arms strong. 
That phrase, girds her loins, comes from uh, a, a practice of tucking long garments in, into a belt. And that was done when someone uh, was about to engage in difficult work, hard work, or, or needed to be able to move without being hindered. So the idea here is that she was characterized by being active, and she prepares herself for hard work. She's not one who's just kind of sitting in the recliner. She's prepared to work. Verse 18, she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. So she understands that all her hard work is of real value to her family. And then that phrase, her lamp does not go out at night, suggests that not only does she get up in the morning when it is still dark, but she also is working by lamplight late into the evening. It sounds like in her household, she's the first one up in the morning and she's the last one to go to bed. She's taken to heart that, as we read a few weeks ago, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. It seems like she has learned from that proverb, and uh, she is anything but lazy. She's diligent. Verse uh, 19. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. Well, the distaff and spindle were devices that were used to, to spin fibers into thread, whether flax or, or wool. And this is part of her work in making clothes for her family. The implication is that she doesn't leave this task for others to do, but, but that she's become skilled at this herself. She's developed skill. And that's a characteristic that's extolled in Proverbs 22, verse 29. Verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. So not only does she work hard for the benefit of her family, but she also gives generously to those who are in need. Again, another proverb, Proverbs 22, 9 says, He who is generous will be blessed. For he gives some of his food to the poor. That's exactly what, what she's doing. And she's under God's blessing. Verse 21. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. Does she worry because winter is approaching? She thinks ahead, doesn't she? Yeah, she's not, she's not concerned about it. She's made sure that her family is well prepared for what's coming. Again, to draw from commentator Ross, he points out that the word translated scarlet uh, can also be translated double cloaks, which seems to fit the context better, and it's the translation that, that's used in the Septuagint. Uh, that rendering would indicate that she has prepared her family for winter with a double layer of clothing. In Proverbs 6, we read, "'Go to the ant, observe her ways, and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer, and gathers her provision in the harvest. Wisdom anticipates the future and prepares for it. That's exactly what she does. Her family is well prepared. Verse 22, she makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She also provides for her own needs and is dressed in expensive fabrics. Purple dye. It comes from some kind of a shellfish. It was very, very expensive. I guess very uh, difficult to obtain and uh, required a lot of effort. It was costly. So purple dye was uh, that which was uh, a sign of nobility because nobody else could afford it. Uh, John MacArthur points this, uh, to this particular verse as a mark of God's blessing on her. The fact that she is able to do this is a sign of God's blessing. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. You might read this and think, well, okay, well, what does this have to do with this lady or, or anything? <laughs> well, the city gates were where legal cases were presented, and it's also where uh, business transactions were completed. So to be known in the city gates and to sit among the elders was to be a very prominent and respected citizen. Well, what is it that makes him prominent and respected? 
It's his wife. The implication in this context is that his wife's virtues brought him great honor and reputation. Everybody knows him because they know his wife and they know what she is like. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Amen? Amen. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. So in addition to everything else that we've seen of this wise woman, she's an entrepreneur. So not only does she make uh, clothing for her family and for herself, she also makes clothing to sell, and she makes belts that she sells. She knows how to conduct business, and she does so. Proverbs 10, verse 4 reads, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Again, she's a hard worker. I don't know how she gets all these things done. This is why it's not really a blueprint <laughs> for anyone to do because it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Her level of activity represented in verses 13 to 24 really is amazing. Applied wisdom is never idle. But there's more to this woman than just activity. Starting in verse 25, we read about her character. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. So we've seen how this woman is on the outside in fine linen and purple, and now we get a glimpse of what she is like on the inside. Notice it says that she's clothed with that inner strength, that strength of character that comes from knowing the Lord and trusting him. And she carries the dignity that comes from uh, living in a way that is upright and godly. She's not fearful about the future. Why? Because she works hard. She's prepared for it. And she knows that God is the one who holds the future. Verse 26. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So she's the kind of person who offers wise counsel uh, and her advice is valuable. The fact that she opens her mouth in wisdom tells us that she, she knows and obeys and teaches uh, the word of God. But notice, too, that her teaching includes the teaching of kindness. That's part of what she does. It says the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So she isn't just one about rules. She's teaching uh, heart values as well. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Again, rather than being self-focused and living a life that's self-centered, she's continually looking to the needs of her family, and she manages her household well. She's characterized by diligence and never by idleness. It's the members of her household who benefit directly from her activity and from her character. So next, we come to the testimony of her family. Verse 28. Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. You know, what could be more gratifying to her uh, than to have her children acknowledge uh, the hard work that she's been doing on their behalf and to praise her for her godly wisdom as she imparted that to them? Her children rise up and bless her. Her children rise up and bless her. Next week is Mother's Day. <laughs> Just a reminder. <laughs> Similarly, her husband echoes her children's praise. Verse 28 goes on. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. She is truly wisdom personified, and no one else could be found who could compare with this. And how is the woman able to attain such excellence? Well, verses 30 and 31 conclude the poem by explaining her foundation. This is kind of the key to everything that we've been reading. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. 
Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So external charm, it could be misleading, physical beauty, it's temporary at best. But the qualities that matter, wisdom, godliness, holiness, stem from the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord, that is knowing him and serving him uh, in, in humility. Um, that's what, what she is all about. It's that reverent obedience that drives everything this woman does, everything that she is. It's what makes her worthy of praise. So this is certainly a fitting conclusion, not only for this poem, uh, but also for the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs began with a call to fear the Lord. We saw that back in chapter 1, verse 7. And now it concludes by once again pointing us to the fear of the Lord. It is the fear of God, that holy, obedient reverence that formed the foundation and motivation of everything the woman of Proverbs 31 did, providing us with kind of a, a perfect illustration of what it looks like when wisdom is applied to everyday life. So, putting the, all this together, the whole chapter together, both poems in chapter 31, the instruction to King Lemuel and the personification of wisdom as the ideal woman demonstrate the importance of applying biblical wisdom to specific life situations. For Lemuel, his mother was preparing him to rule well as king, and he needed to understand some specific points that are right out of God's word. He needed to understand that harem building is contrary to God's law, Deuteronomy 17, that being intoxicated is a repudiation of wisdom and completely incompatible with being righteous and just. That's Proverbs 20, verse 1. That he needed to defend those who were defenseless. That's Proverbs 16, verse 12. That he needed to judge righteously on behalf of the poor. That's Proverbs 29, verse 7. So, how about our second poem? <laughs> in this personification of wisdom in verses 10 to 31, we've seen qualities that should be sought by every man or woman who belongs to Christ. This is the foundation of the fear of the Lord. This is, this is what the foundation of the fear of the Lord looks like when it's, when it's lived out. <clears throat> Here we've seen wisdom personified as a very busy woman modeling the application of biblical wisdom to specific life situations. We've witnessed trustworthiness and integrity. What was the characteristic of her husband? He trusts in her. She has his back. Faithfulness. She's faithful to her husband, faithful to her family. Hard work and diligence. That kind of runs all the way through this passage. No hint of laziness or idleness. An attitude of self-sacrifice for the good of others. What's your attitude, guys? <laughs> Again, this is for all of us. Are you willing to, to sacrifice yourself for the good of others? Generosity to the poor. You know, when you see somebody in need, are you willing to meet it? Planning, preparing for the future. Skill at working. Again, it's, it's, there's a proverb that extols uh, having that skill. That's the one that says, uh, uh, such a person will appear before kings. I don't know if you remember that verse from a few weeks ago. Success, uh, conducting business. You know, that's doing business God's way, not the world's way. The teaching of wisdom to others, we saw that uh, in her character. The teaching of kindness, loving service to one's spouse and children, honor to one's spouse. So you see all of these characteristics in this woman, and they're all characteristics that all of us uh, need to emulate. And this is what it looks like <laughs> when you see a person doing these things. Uh, you know, her, her life is, is what that looks like. So... What are we to do with chapter 31? Well, I think it takes us right back to the beginning of the book of Proverbs. So I invite you to, to turn back to chapter 1 just for a moment. Chapter 1, we saw the opening of the book reads like this. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, 
and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So right at the outset, we, we saw weeks ago that Solomon gave us the purpose for this book. The idea is that after coming into a saving relationship with the Lord through uh, Jesus Christ and becoming his follower, that's really what fearing the Lord is. Uh, we are to look to this book as a means to continually grow in godly wisdom and understanding. How? <laughs> well, how do we do that? I think by examining our own life situations and asking ourselves questions. Number one, are there specific challenges and temptations that I am facing or that I am likely to face? That's what we saw with King Lemuel. He's in a very specific situation as king. There's certain things that, that he needed to avoid. There were certain things that he needed to do. And that's maybe true of other people in this room, that you maybe have a specific situation that you're facing right now uh, or specific uh, temptations uh, that you deal with. Uh, Proverbs is a great place to go to find uh, guidance on what to do, how to handle it, how to live. Secondly, for all of us, what are the daily tasks and activities uh, that we're involved in and what decisions are we going to encounter you know, all of us are, are, are dealing with, with uh, input from the world on a continual basis. And how do we deal with those things? How do, we, how do we live day by day just in the routine tasks that we do? Well, that's what the uh, Proverbs 31 woman shows us, you know, kind of what it looks like as we uh, put the, the characteristics that I had on that chart a minute ago uh, into action. So just as we have done with our topical studies on anger, pride, foolishness, wealth. We need to search through the book of Proverbs and write down appropriate verses to learn, memorize, and apply. A number of you have commented to me when we've done those topical studies how helpful it was to be able to look at a whole bunch of Proverbs that talk about the fool, a whole bunch of Proverbs that talk about wealth, a whole bunch of Proverbs uh, that talk about uh, work. Um, and, and then you really begin to get your arms around that subject. And the value in doing that is then there are specific Proverbs that you can write down, Proverbs that you can learn and memorize and apply. Just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, um, if you are in the process of raising kids, or perhaps soon will be raising kids, I know we have a few uh, that are in that category, you know, it's immensely helpful to read through Proverbs and write down the verses that deal with raising children. There's so much practical application, practical instruction here uh, regarding raising children. One of those verses reads, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. That's Proverbs 22:15. So that kind of begs the question, okay, well, foolishness is in the heart of a child. That means every child is born as a fool. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, what are the characteristics of a fool? Well, you could go through and you could look at all of the, the verses that, that deal with that, as we did some time ago. And then this question of, of the rod of discipline, what's that all about? Well, it turns out the word translated rod there is it, not referring to you know, a baseball bat. It's referring to a switch. It's a small diameter rod. It's the kind of thing that just it stings. It's, it's, not, it's not that you beat the child, not at all. It's, it's something that gets their attention because it stings. Uh, but it doesn't harm them in any way, uh, but it drives folly out of them. So, again, on the basis of the truth of Proverbs, it's worthwhile to go through the book and uh, to, to search for the things that apply to your particular situation. Do any of you have uh, any issues controlling the tongue? I invite you back next week. We are... We are going to end Proverbs with a topical study on the tongue and speech, on what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. It, it's, it's an illustration of what we've been talking about this morning um, so that we can become like the Proverbs 31 woman and we can be applying the truth of uh, what Proverbs says on the subject of how to use our tongues. So with that, let me close us in prayer. Yes. I, 
I did not, but since you've mentioned it, I guess I could say something. <laughs> what Carol's referring to is that uh, our son is a sophomore at the Masters University in California. I mean, sorry, our grandson. And uh, it'd be nice if he was just our son and we were that young, but <laughs> I'm afraid those days are long gone. Our grandson is leaving late today for Israel with the Master's Chorale. They are going to be singing in Israel. And they're going to be singing in uh, Italy. It's a 16-day tour, and uh, it's just a, a marvelous opportunity for, for him and uh, for all the members of, of the chorale. So uh, we will be in prayer for him for sure. Yeah, and just yep, yep. You just pray that that will be received and heeded. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let me close us in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so grateful that your word comes to us in in such a variety of uh, of styles and and uh, ways of teaching. And Father, we're grateful for chapter 31 and just for the uh, illustration that we have here of wisdom applied to the life of a king, wisdom applied to uh, a godly woman. Um, Father, we're grateful that by that method you allow us to understand more clearly uh, what wisdom is to look like uh, when it's applied in our lives. And uh, Father, we just confess to you that each of us have, have areas where we have blind spots or areas where... Uh, we, we stumble and are inconsistent in our walk with you. And, and so, Father, I pray that you would continue to use this book in our lives, uh, that as we uh, run across issues, we can search through the book of Proverbs and, and find appropriate verses that speak directly to uh, our own situation, and we can uh, memorize it and uh, apply it to life. Father, our desire is to honor you, to glorify you with the way we live uh, Father, we are so grateful that you have rescued us uh, from our sin through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our desire now is to live for him and to uh, exalt him, to lift up his name, uh, not only in our words, but in the way we, we live every day. And so, Father, I pray that you would work that process in us by the power of your spirit. And uh, we pray that you would be uh, honored and pleased. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.